Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There we go. Hello. Hello, folks. Happy Wednesday. For some reason, it just took a little while for our friends at Google to kick us there. into gear. Hello. Uh, did you shut that, Russ? They did. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks. I know it throws you. I'm sorry. Sometimes no, no, I just catch it right on there, and sometimes I don't. I, I, that echo just drives me crazy. It's either that or that or that uh, that irritating uh, that thing that we had on Monday where it was just yeah. like that sound. Yeah. Just just a just a, a non hockey thing to start off. Like we're getting into the stretch run here for uh, baseball in terms of you know teams that are eliminating themselves, and there's a few races going on. One of the races that I don't think anybody thought was going to happen was a race for the wild card spot in in the AL. I think it's gonna it's definitely going to be the Yankees in Oakland, but the Yankees have played so badly lately that Oakland has a chance of getting home field for the uh, for the wild card game. And Russ, I have to say, you know, in spite of the fact that the Yankees are uh, probably going to have a hundred wins, and I don't agree with everything Mike Francesa says, he he went on Twitter a couple days ago and says this could be the worst hundred win team in the history of Major League Baseball. And I look at the way that team is playing; they're totally reliant on home runs. And yesterday, leading three one, I think it was three one going into the ninth inning, they botched a couple chances at double plays and almost gave the game to the Red Sox. They're not a good overall team. No, I mean, look, we've talked about their defense and lack of it. We've talked about their lack of speed. But here's the thing. It's really hard to quantify. Are they worth the worst 100-win team? Because, look, back in the day, winning 100 games meant you made the playoffs, and a lot of other teams didn't, meaning teams that would have even as high as 92 wins wouldn't make the playoffs, right? So I don't know how to quantify that. All, all I say is this. For Major League Baseball, you have to survive the regular season and get to the playoffs. Once you get into a short series, especially that one-game elimination game, which is what they're going to play, those other things don't matter as much. If you've got Tanaka, let's say, throwing lights out, seven innings of you know three-hit ball, and you get a couple of homers, those things don't really mean that much. So I think it's an over-exaggeration, but it's New York, and, you know, you know how it is. Yeah, the good folks in Detroit would love to have a hundred, a poor 100-win. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and, hey, look, you win 100 games, you get in the show, you got a chance. I mean, right. you know, there's no style points. Uh, uh, you know, if you get in the playoffs, at least, you know, you have the opportunity. And I agree. If you get in and your pitching is uh, gets hot, you know, you can make a run. This, yeah. You know, it's not unthinkable that this poor 100-win Yankees team could, uh, you know, make a really extended run. Preseason, my dark horse team, Kevin, was the Milwaukee Brewers. I, I liked what they were sort of made of. I'd seen them coming on last year. And then they've made some very good shrewd moves in at the trading deadline. And Christian Yelich will probably win the National League. And you know what? 
as good as Houston is, and they're excellent, and they're probably better than the Yankees, and as good as the Red Sox are, and you know, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. If, I I don't know if it's my anti Red Sox hatred or you know me being a big a lifetime Yankee fan, but you know. I'm automatically suspicious of a team that's going to win, you know, 115, 100 and whatever games they're going to win and everything falling into place. I mean, that happened with the Yankees in 98. It didn't happen with the, the Mariners team. I think it was 2001 that won 114 games. Everything has gone right except for a couple injuries to Pedroia and Chris Sale um, for, the, for the Red Sox. And I just don't know if that can last – past 162 games it's very tough to keep that going so um yeah i think and honestly i think the american league you know i'm a little down on the yankees right now because of what i was just saying about but i think i can see ways of cleveland houston boston new york all uh winning the al and going to the world series so it's sort of wide open and i haven't paid as much attention to the nl russ but i mean you know the brewers are dangerous they really are a dangerous team they uh well, Yelich is one of the hottest players in baseball. And again, go ask, you know, Daniel Murphy bringing the Mets through to the World Series the one year. You know, Christian Yelich could do it with them. They had two cycles in a, you know, in a year. I, I did see it just the same uh, team. That's crazy. That is crazy. Uh, I saw a fascinating comment on social media, which actually made me chuckle, where the guy <laughs> said he couldn't root for the Red Sox um, because he sees. Uh, uh, JD Martinez as the poster child for the launch angle, and <laughs> I'm so sick of the how the launch angle has transformed the league into a strikeout league uh, now because they're just trying to get the ball up in the air with uh, you know good bat speed. That uh, it said I can't root for the, uh, the Red Sox, but obviously it did transform uh, JD Martinez uh, launch angle. Well, that ballpark too, Kev. You know, what back in the day. Jose Canseco got traded there, and or or they signed him. I can't remember. And if he had used the launch angle, he would have hit a ton of home runs there, and it just didn't happen for him. So that ballpark is part of the reason too, I think, for Martinez. I well, absolutely. But I mean, he you know he was the same kind of player in Detroit, and yeah. um, you know he he was uh, you know cast out by the uh, Astros, and then it was um, cut. He was you know, cut. Yeah, completely reinvented his uh, himself and uh, embraced this idea of uh, you know of a launch angle and transformed himself into one of the better hitters in the league and you know you can't say he's all power because look at no. his average so no. um, you know he's he's done a really good job I'm, I I haven't really been bothered by that to me it just seems cyclical I mean you know we're old enough for us we've all gone through you know there's been pitching periods and you know uh, and and now, uh, like the game's so different than it was in the 1960s, that you can't. It's impossible to compare eras. It is, and I think launch angle won't last more than a couple more years, anyhow. Yeah, uh, a, pl a player with like a 280 batting average with a they say a 310 on base can't make the major leagues anymore. It's like it's one of these things where they have to. The the league. I've always been an aficionado of on base percentage. Uh, the league has become walks home runs and strikeouts and that's really all it is you got a bunch of you know I'll, I'll use the i'll use the the guy it's robbed it's a bunch of robbed ears russ that's what it is yeah well, you say but that, but we just talked about yelich getting two cycles and sure you know there are some players altuve i mean there's some exciting there exceptions yes talented teams you know, have to tailor what they have to the game right so like 
at some point there will be a shortage of good power hitters. And then when that happens, you'll see that managers will have to adjust and have more guys hit for, you know, average and go get on base and hit behind runners. It's going to happen. You can't just live off the home run like this forever. It won't last. Well, the shift to me is more bothersome than the launch. Yeah, the shift, yeah. The shift is just, you know, kind of altered the game. And it's so scientific now. Like every time a guy comes up to the plate, your television gives you a spray chart of yeah. where he's, you know, puts the ball. And, you know, you realize, well, we've got no hope against this pitcher. Well, you know, but here's the thing. If it wasn't the fact that players are so um, afraid to lose their swing that, you know, if, if they put up the, the – the chart and then they say how many times has that player tried to go the other way the answer would be never and that's the yeah. thing it's just you know if you're a hitting coach you got to get those guys to challenge it once in a while and say you know what you are going to have to go the other way once in a while to keep them honest or this well, shit can take 40 points off your average not, not even not even that russ and this will be the last thing before we start before we start the show a guy in you know greg bird has had a terrible year for the yankees but in a couple and i think it was three instances where they had the shift all the way, the third baseman basically playing shortstop, and the shortstop and everybody else three side three players to the to the right side of second base. He dropped down a bunt, and he is not a speedster, and got a base hit. If if more players did that, you know, I would say five six times, they would break the shift. They would have to start playing them differently, and I think that would have an effect. But they they don't do it, and I think that's just a, sort of like the lack of development of fundamentals where like players who were sluggers could bunt could do things and they don't do that anymore no i mean guys can't bunt that's why they don't do it right yeah. okay let's get started uh hello hockey world today is wednesday september 19th 2018 i'm russ cohen from sportsology i'm kevin allen usa today sports and I'm Michael Lagello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. We will touch on a couple of the exhibition games last night, uh, some news and notes from the NHL, and we'll preview the Detroit Red Wings and the Dallas Stars today. Um, starting off with with the 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 uh, the Sabers game last night, and I think maybe an injury that I don't have if it happened in the game or happened before the game, but I saw on the crawl as I was watching the the, uh, the Leafs Senators game in Lucan, Ontario. Uh, that Connor Sheary got hurt for the Sabres. And I have a feeling, Russ, that that may have provided a little impetus to Jason Botterill to get the Sam Reinhardt deal done because Reinhardt signed a two-year bridge deal uh, this morning for $3.65 million per. Um, there was not a lot of talk here about a long-term deal. It seemed to be going in the bridge direction. And yeah. that's a pretty, I think, a reasonable number for a guy who scored 24 goals last year. Uh, what do you think of that signing? No, I think it is a, a good signing for both. I do think it's a reasonable number. If he has 24 goals or 25 goals each of his next two years, whether it's with Buffalo or somebody else, you know, he'll make his money. The Sherry thing is kind of odd, though, because when they announced it, they're now saying it's week to week. Yeah, week to week with an upper body injury, but there was no – I didn't hear any well, specific. That makes me think it's not concussion. That makes me think it's, you know, like collarbone, shoulder, yeah. something, you know, a little bit like that. And and that's, you know, that could hurt, hurt the start of their season. Again, we all look at Buffalo with hope all the time, and then things seem to happen there to, to derail them early on. It happens almost every year. Yeah, and and Kevin, uh, as as we said when we previewed Buffalo and when we talked about Buffalo, 
uh, not in relation to Sherry, but in relation to another player. We talked about it yesterday. Zach Bogosian has not practiced, I think, the last three days. And right now he's, you know, he basically there's no plans to play him. And right now nobody knows what the situation is. I mean, this team, for them to live up to the expectations of, you know, I think being much better than they were, they need some good luck in terms of health. And they just haven't seemed to get that. Well, I think that's very fair. You know, I'm in the, uh, uh, today is my day where I do my point projection, so I'm in a cranky mood because uh, you know, I, I know I'll be, uh, you know, the hate will will flow freely uh, when yeah. I'm done with those. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just mentioned to my boss that a lot of the way that I ended up projecting, I didn't do it consciously, um, but when I was done, I realized that, you know, I came back from an NHL media tour and I did a survey with players and um, I also talked with, a, you know, at least one and sometimes two players from every NHL team. And, you know, what I got from them in terms of what the teams they felt were the most improved um, were, you know, teams like St. Louis and Buffalo was among them as, as well. And I think, you know, for the most part in Florida, they liked as well. They thought that was a team that was on the rise. I think it was kind of reflected in that. And, you know, Buffalo, I, I, I thought the Reinhardt deal was perfect. And it's rare that you find – that both the player and the team um, is in agreement of what kind of deal that they need. Usually a player, you know, wants a long-term deal, right. a short-term deal, and the team is But in this case, I think both sides are happy because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're Reinhardt, you're thinking, you know, I, I could still be that, uh, you know, big-time player, and I don't want to get locked into a, a uh, you know, longer-term deal where I'm not going to have, the you know, the big figure. And if you're Buffalo, you're still not sure quite what Reinhardt is. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that was kind of perfect. But I, I will say this about, uh, you know, about the, uh, um, you know, the defense. I, I don't think that they were counting on Bacochian. I, you know, not, not that they've written him <laughs> off, but I, I don't think uh, they have had him penciled in as a guy that, uh, right. well, we need him to kind of come around. I think they had sort of seen the writing on the wall on that. And, mm-hmm. um, but I do agree with you that, you know, they have had terrible luck uh, in terms of injuries, and they, they need need a break as well. But, you know, to me, the key on that team is the, uh, you know, is guys like Middlestat and, you know, how good is Eichel going to be? How good is Reinhardt going to be? Um, uh, you know, is the young defenseman out there? Darlene is, yeah, I mean, yeah. on the show yesterday. And and, and Reese Delane, and I, I know you're not high on him, but. Uh, no, I, I, I am. I am. I just don't think he's a 27-minute-a-night defenseman like they've been playing yeah. him over the last few years. They need, yeah. they needed to add more more help for him. I think he's a he's a top-four defenseman. He's a he's a right-hand shot. I think he's good. I just think they've abused him over the not last to, Not to add to Kevin's crankiness, but I think that um, Rasmus Darlene, is going to get over 40 points this year. I do. Mm. Um, because now I see how the Sabres are going to use him, and they're going to be using him in top power play. They're going to be using him. Actually, it looks like they're going to be using him um, in overtime, in three-on-three overtime. They had him out there with Eichel and uh, Skinner. So yeah. if that happens, he will get over 40 points. Well, I, I've got the Sabres improved by – I think I've got him at 80-some points. So. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as they don't, don't have massive injuries or horrific goaltending, that yes. definitely should happen. Yeah, whether well, you know, they're so much faster, and you know, it is interesting. And I had this conversation with a couple of players, but you know, one or two players that you add 
you know, really makes a difference in terms mm -hmm. of speed because that impacts two lines. You had two players, two forwards who are fast, you know, and that makes those lines fast because you've got to play to the fastest guy on the line. Right. Well, they've added three speedsters, Sheary, Middlestat, and Darlene. Yeah, yeah, no, for That's sure. Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, I think this Buffalo team, even though, you know, they've gotten more bad luck here, it looks like, with injuries, I don't think it's significant enough to stop the progress they made. I'm, I'm bullish on the Sabres. And I have to say that, uh, you know, and, and knock on wood for the Sabres in terms of Alex Nylander playing very well early in the year. I think, you know, the way he's playing right now, and it's like only been a couple uh, exhibition games, so you're not going to draw any complete conclusions on this, but he's played a lot better, more up to the expectations when he was drafted eighth overall a few years ago. And if he makes the team, you know, and, play, you know, I don't know if he plays on a top six role, if he plays on a third line, but anything they get out of him is, is gravy based on how I think bad his first couple pro years were. So that that's optimistic for I'll, them. I'll say this too, Mike. I mean, I've, I've watched more than a few games already for preseason, attended one live, and what I'm seeing in games is like when everybody gets excited when, let's say, a prospect gets a goal, I'm watching like what the defenseman is doing that – has aided the goal. And like the other day when Mikhail Vorobiev was getting the puck down the end, he did a nice job of, of bringing it down the end and shielding it. And what did the defenseman do for the Islanders? He went down to block the pass. There was no chance this Russian kid who does have a scoring touch is going to pass it. There was zero chance of that. And he went down. And that's what I'm saying. Like these are weird situations that players get put in against, you know, like four or five good players against, you know, the rest of them are, you know, guys trying to make it. So, I always just look at individual effort. I don't ever look at how like a team is doing in preseason because it's impossible. And and I try not I try not to read too much into individual yeah. like individual game performances, you know, especially in the first couple games, but in the wake of the article in the athletic regarding Robin Leonard and his struggles here in Buffalo and the fact that they they didn't qualify him and he signed a, a basically a one year look-see type of deal with the Islanders. The fact that he gave up four goals on 22 shots yesterday against the Flyers, and I think they would probably were pulling him anyway because they usually split the, split yeah. the games. I mean, that's not a good sign. I mean, they're, they seem to be, you know, they're going to give Leonard a chance, but the problem with Leonard in Buffalo was not that when he was on, because when he was on, he was very, very good. He it was he was just remarkably inconsistent, Kev. He just it, when he was bad, he cost them games, and when he was good, you know they had a chance to win. But you know I, I'm going to be very interested to see what Robin Leonard does with the Islanders this year. I'm completely with you on this one. In fact, I, I really did feel kind of bad. Uh, uh, when I read the athletic story about him, because I, I just have never liked him as a goalie. And just for the reason you mentioned, uh, you know, I didn't like him when he was in, in Ottawa, even though people said, well, you know, he's got a lot of potential. And I remember when Buffalo, um, you know, acquired him, they really thought they'd hit a home run because they thought his potential and his upside was so high. But I, I never saw that because of that inconsistency that you said. Like, I, I don't have any uh use for a goalie who's up and down like i'd rather have a consistent guy who is less spectacular than a guy who's spectacular for three games and then atrocious for four mm -hmm. yeah that's uh, you know i gotta be honest that's how i see leonard like one thing about leonard that i've noticed kev is he he's very positional and and he's really a guy that 
relies on his defense. If he has a lousy defense in front of him, he will have a lousy game. And right now, like in that kind of a preseason game, everybody said he looked horrible. But if we break down who the Islanders' defense in front of him was, it wasn't very good. Well, to, to be honest, I, you know, I was on a radio show and I said I was surprised that that Lamarillo uh, embraced him as the uh, you know the hope because uh, right. it didn't seem like a Lamarillo type move. And uh, you know, saying all that though, you know, I have trust in Lamarillo's uh, ability. Um, I, mean, I watched Christ the other day live. I might have sided with Lou after that. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I, I'm just not. I've never been. Uh, as fascinated with Leonard's potential as, as others have. And, uh, uh, you know, but everybody deserves a chance and we'll see. Yeah. And now that he's exercised some of his demons and at least has an understanding, it seems like of, uh, you know, his illness and how to deal with it. Uh, um, you know, who knows uh, what can happen? We've seen the many athletes, uh, kind of overcome all sorts of, uh, issues to become down with a player. So maybe, yeah, maybe he's calmer now. Like he used to have these outbursts and stuff and, yes. and that doesn't happen now. So that, that could help him in the long season. And yeah. you know, Lou has a history. He went out and got Matt, he went out and got, uh, Schneider for, for New Jersey at the draft. He went out and got Freddie Anderson for the Leafs. There, you know, other than Grubauer, I don't know how many chances to get a number one goaltender there were over the summer. So I think, you know, Leonard was sort of a stopgap, no lose situation. If he's good, he's good, and and you you look really great. And if he's not, then you wait until next summer when maybe a few other goaltenders are on the market, and then you go that way. So well, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why, you know, that's why the Carolina Hurricanes have Peter Morazic. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they, yeah. they they were looking for a number one, but there were absolutely no proven number ones available this summer. Um, right. You know, Grubauer was a was a nice option, and um, uh, Carter Hutton was a nice option, but these are not proven number one goalies. I got to tell you, Kev, Morazic has to prove to me that he's even an NHLer anymore. Like, well, yeah, well absolutely. That's that's the point on all, on all these guys. Like, I like Carter Hutton, but. You know, I mean, we still don't know exactly. No, we don't. You know what he'll do. We don't know about Grubauer, and uh, I think the uh, uh, as as much as on paper it seems like the Colorado move makes sense because they had so many injuries last year. Yeah. It also adds an an element of confusion to the goaltending. Um, you know, are yeah. they splitting? Uh, right. Like you know, what's quite going to happen there? And we we actually we actually talked about that yesterday because we previewed Colorado and we were saying, you know, is the plan to play Varlamov like a number one or go one A one B? And it, like I look at it and say, I think they'll play Varlamov as a number one until he gets hurt, which he always does, and then at least they have a better one B plan instead of Jonathan Bernier with Grubauer. I think that's the way they go, and they probably if Grubauer proves that he's you know, a number one caliber, they can trade Barlam off at the deadline because, you know, he is a good goaltender if he stays healthy. Yeah. And I always say with one of the biggest lies in all of hockey is when a player says, it doesn't matter to me who's in net, um, that I play the same point. That's ah. nonsense. Um, you know, <laughs> they never play the same. Oh. And, and even though they, none of them would admit this, most of them like to know who their goalie is going to be. They like to know who their number one is, um, and uh, you know they they adjust their game depending on the faith they have, um, you know, in the guy that's back there. You, you know, they may take more chances if they have an elite level goalie. 
um, and they may play more conservatively if they have a young goalie and they're less sure about him. So I think it makes a big difference. And uh, uh, I, I don't know what to make about it. I wasn't here for Colorado, but uh, that's the one team out of the 31 that I, I'm less sure about. Like, I have no idea where the Colorado Avalanche, you know, they have some talented players. They've got McKinnon, who is a dominant player, mm -hmm. um, but I just don't know where they're at. They, you know, I think they're going to get a nice boost out of Tyson Jost, though, being healthy this year. Yeah, that, they, they may be no, but here's the thing, and I, I mentioned this to the you know, and it's one of the guys. He often says that to me. It's this to me. He goes, he goes, you guys that do prognostication, he says, I'm sure you're going to be uh, say about Colorado. He says, but if you're saying you know what Colorado is going to do, you're absolutely lying. He <laughs> said, because I've been in this business a long time, and I got no idea. Like they may be yeah. really good, but they may yeah. you know fall out. You know, they were 90 goals better. Yeah. last year than they were the season before now is that them um, no, yeah, maybe you know i mean two years ago they were the 62 mets that's what they were they were, yeah, they were that bad they were an absolute but, mess. and the problem i have is and we all got caught up in this you know we thought the columbus blue jackets had arrived and then they were 27th in the league the right. following year um i think the difference with colorado is this kev i think the difference is in bednar's first year there was the Patrick Waugh hangover, and I don't think the team was as bad as what the record was. So I think when we go back to that, if we look at that team, we say, all right, you know what? They probably weren't that bad. Then you look at last year, and, and that's as good as Nathan McKinnon will probably ever play in the NHL. If he duplicates that year, they're making the playoffs because he was a force of nature. Uh, you know, I, I actually agree with you on that, that uh, you know they were not as bad as they look. But it's also a difference in our personality. You always think yes. you know exactly what's going to happen. Oh, I never yeah. think I know what, what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, yeah, but that's so true. It, I know it, what's so going to happen. <laughs> but I have no. I, I always am always concerned that I'm wrong, <laughs> and I think you never even entertain that pilot error option. But <laughs> um, but I I really struggled with uh, Colorado in this. I yeah. You know, again, I because you look at their talent base. And I love those guys. Those guys are really talented guys. Actually, their defense is so much better now. Yeah, uh, that, was, yeah. that was what I was going to say. The the addition of Gerard, the addition of Ian Cole yeah. as as a free agent, the the growth yeah. of Zadorov. They didn't trade off Barry, you know, Tyson yeah. Berry, and Johnson's yeah. healthy. Johnson's underrated, uh, in my opinion. Like I think he's a very valuable defenseman. Um, but Gerard is still young, you know. Yeah. Um, so we don't quite know exactly what you know he'll be and everything else. So. I don't know. Somebody's going to fall in that division, and I'm fearful it'll be Colorado. So, so uh, with with the signing of Reinhardt, we're down to four restricted free agents: Miles Wood, uh, Nick Ritchie, Shea Theodore, and William Nylander. Um, I saw Bob McKenzie report uh, before the show that you know it seems that the path for Ritchie and Theodore is bridge deal, like Reinhardt, like Morrissey, like Darnell Nurse. Uh, I haven't heard anything on Miles Wood. Uh, Kev, I have to give you a props because over the weekend in Niagara Falls, talking to, you know, being in the scrums with Mike Babcock, it was effusive. His praise was for Caspery Kapanen, for Andreas Janssen, for all the wingers who were there, and the guy who was left off the training camp roster. He, you know, he mentioned, well, you know, we have to wait for Willie to get here. But it was nothing, nothing about Willie, nothing about, like, uh, you know, wh when he gets here. It's like all the guys who were there. It was prototypical blueprint Babcock. Yeah, he's dead to us, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's, just, that's the way. You know, if he's not there, he's dead to us. Yeah. Uh, 
you know yeah well you know that's uh you know that's mike uh you know that's the, just the way he uh you know kind of approaches things and um you know i mean you i think you guys you brought it up before because i'd forgotten about it but you know neilander's uh father was involved obviously yeah, as mike well yeah 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 it was yeah it was rush yeah that brought it no up. no mike did Mike, oh, Mike, yeah, Mike brought up. Okay. Well, I knew somebody did, but, yeah. and I had forgotten about that, but you're absolutely right. So, you know, but, I, you know, ultimately these things get resolved and they sure. will. Um, Here's the thing, but, though. And so we're just getting updated now in last hour from Bob McKenzie saying that Miles Wood and the Devils are not even close. They haven't even had dialogue lately. Like, this is the one that's really puzzling to me, Kev, because Miles Wood has no leg to stand on. Not that the Devils couldn't use his goals, but just the fact that, look, they're going to be the same team probably with or without him. It's not going to be a major difference. And so he's got no leverage in my eyes. No, I, I, I agree. Like, it's not like there's going to be a big rush, right. to, you know, to sign him. Yeah, uh, nobody's signing him to an offer sheet. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I don't, I don't get that either. Um, and uh, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. And one, and, um, uh... One thing that will distract uh, Leafs Nation from uh, the Neilander ongoing Neilander impasse uh, was the the game last night. And again, it's game one of the of eight exhibition games, and there were half the team was not players that are playing in the NHL this year. Um, but John Tavares made a rather nice debut, scoring the Leafs' first goal, uh, assisting on a Mitch Marner goal, scoring another goal. So he had two goals and an assist in his first game in blue and white. And I can tell you, Kev, the uh, the the chatter in my comment uh, in the comments on my column on Hockey Buzz were, you know, basically pictures of Tavares with a with a holy glow behind him, like he was Jesus. And you know that, that that that's you know that's that's going a little far, but you know there is a lot of excitement right now in Leaf Station. I don't know about how how serious this being them being the lead, you know, the leading contender in terms of that betting and whatever. But I think that the rebuild, in a sense, is over with, and now this team is realized that they're in the competition for winning it. Well, absolutely, um, and uh, you know, you know, it, there'll be changes. You know, even during the the season, I'm sure they'll add, uh, you know, a veteran defenseman, uh, you know, down the stretch uh, to compete. But um, you know, at the NHL media tour, you know, well, one thing I was struck in interviewing, uh, struck by when I interviewed uh, Tavares was, uh, you know, just how excited he is about the opportunity. Um, the opportunity of being on a team that can compete right now, uh, you know, for the Stanley cup. And, um, you know, he, he just, you know, was just excited. And, um, I, I think it was a really difficult decision for him, but I think that that weighed heavily, like the old days, um, that, that was the driving force. And then it got a little complicated because, you know, there's so much parity that it's hard to decide who has the best opportunity. But I think, he really feels like he has an opportunity, and I think we're going to see the best of, uh, of Tavares. And you know, if you look at his age, like you know, this is when he should be at his best. So yeah, I don't think anybody's surprised by this. No, 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 no. not at all. But I mean, and, he's going to be uh, you know terrific with the talent they have up front. And one thing that's breaking news, Mike, you're going to like this. Go ahead. Here, here's the break. This is from Steve Wino. I think this will make good conversation because he is. He's written an article for AP, and I like Steve a lot. Like, I've known him for a long time. He was in Philly. And, and the article headline is how Wes McCauley became the NHL's best referee. And it's like, 
do we ever think about who's the best referee? Like, I don't, I don't even know if, if you asked, if someone had asked me like on a radio show, who's the best referee? I honestly would say, I have no idea. Yeah. I I, I I would have said Wes McCauley's in the the conversation for sure. Yeah. I think that's by design though, Russ. I think they want, they, they don't want the, remember, remember it's like, it was Bruce Hood. It was Andy Van Helmond. It was Wally Harris. It was Bob Myers. You, you know, the, you, you associated, you, they had personalities. They had, uh, you know, their own little idiosyncrasies. I think that the league is sort of gone the way of baseball umpires where you don't have Lou DeMuro anymore. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's like they, yeah. they want them sort of just be anonymous type of, you know, just call the play and not be, not have their own personalities. And I, I honestly, I could, I couldn't name six or seven, more than six or seven referees now. Yeah, this well, is- the best example of that was, you know, Paul Stewart. Like he, you know, he's going to enter the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, um, you know, because he was both a player and a, a referee. But you know, he was often criticized and yeah. chastised by the league for being a personality. Right. Like, you know, he was engaged out there with, um, you know, the players, and uh, you know, he he was part of the show. And this was an NHLPA poll. That's what it was after the season. So I just found it interesting. Here, here's another real interesting thing, Mike. Um, this came out a few hours ago from a Larry Brooks column that um, Kevin Hayes said, things that maybe should have been addressed and weren't maybe taken for granted, they're being addressed now, meaning during the last regime and Elaine Vigneault. And I think nobody is shocked at that. And I think for people that might be shocked why Elaine Vigneault doesn't have a job, that's a good reason right there because, you know, you don't usually have a player coming out and saying that even with a new coach there so publicly, because at this time of the year, we're all looking for stories, right? This is something that definitely is gaining a lot of traction. And, but again, Elaine Vigneault got to the point where, you know, he was pretty abrasive to a lot of the players. Yeah. And, and these coaches, they, they reach like a yelling way, just in the way he, no, no, but 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 coaches they they reach a certain point where you know they get tuned out. I mean, I think that was the case with Babcock in Detroit. And after a while, no matter how successful they are in certain places, you know, it. it I mean, I think Vino's time in New York was over with. I mean, he. I think his message got stale, and I think the organization was looking at you know the group that they had and decided that they had they had to move on and and sort of retool or rebuild. And you know, I think that happened that probably happened in Detroit with Babcock. I'm thinking I'm pretty sure that it happened with Babcock. And, you know, eventually that might happen with Babcock in Toronto. But right now, I mean, right now it's not because they're they're young and they're very talented. And they that have didn't even happen with Babcock in his last year in Detroit. Nobody came out and said anything like, no, that he's gone. Like that. So this is, like I said, this is something for this year where we don't see it a lot, but it does say a lot. That quote said a lot. Russ is right. Uh, you know, one thing about – what was interesting in Detroit is players did not like Babcock. You know, there, there's truth to that. Um, and, uh, you know, they resented how he uh, treated uh, players. Um, but they never, uh, they, they believed that he gave them a good chance to win. So they, you know, they, they followed him. Um, yeah. you know, I don't think Zetterberg and Babcock, in fact, I know Zetterberg and Babcock didn't see eye to eye. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Zetterberg played for Babcock. I think he right. respected that, that uh, uh, you know, Babcock, you know, prepared a team. Ken Holland has said it many times. Nobody prepares a team in the NHL as well as Mike Babcock to compete in a game. Um, and and uh, that's because players may not like him, but they, you know, they know he gives them an opportunity to win. So uh, they play for him.
and Babcock clearly respected Zetterberg, at least, I mean, from yeah. in Toronto, he has used video of Zetterberg to show to Austin Matthews of the way he wants Matthews to play, you know, that as, as an example. Um, now, and, and one, one thing, one little note here, and then we'll, we'll move on to a couple other news and notes things here. Um, a lot of talk about Austin Matthews and the power play that came up at the end of the season uh, in the playoffs. He wasn't utilized on the first power play, and their first power play was second in the NHL. So I, I don't blame the Leafs for for deviating from that. But that's been that was supposedly part of the uh, the tete a tete between Matthews and Babcock that happened after the season. Well, I can tell you right now, I think John Tavares is going to be on the top power play because yesterday they had 60% of their first power play playing in the game against Ottawa. And Tavares was on the power on that unit with another player who's probably not going to be on the, on the Leafs. And it clicked pretty well. I, I, I think they're going to keep Matthews on the second power play, and that may raise a little bit. I don't think they're going to put Matthews and Tavares on the first power play. You've got to no, have no, They won't do that. Yeah, and, and they'll, they'll be the conspiracy theorist out there that says, well, they're trying to limit Matthews' numbers because he's coming up for a contract next year. I think that's bunk, but that, that'll be out there. So anyway, um, okay. The Jake Dotchin story is pretty interesting. Now, I you know I've tracked Dotchin over the last couple of years. He he's injured a couple Maple Leafs. He he uh, he almost almost ended Freddie Gauthier's career in a in a playoff game uh, when he played for Syracuse. He's sort of that I, I think I would say a modern day sort of Brian Marchment type of player and had that reputation and. His contract was term, which is bizarre. Contract was terminated by the by the Tampa Bay Lightning, and it's been leaking out over the last couple of days that Kevin he came to camp with twenty five percent body fat, and Bob McKenzie reported thirty pounds overweight. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it it really is. Um, they've sort of uh, been backing off a little bit of the twenty five percent, you know, sure. body fat. No one's been able to confirm that, but it does seem like he was twenty five to thirty pounds overweight. And uh, this has become a players association issue. And, you know, it's not hard to see why. Like, if you can terminate a contract for players being overweight, you know, that could be abused by, by teams. Um, sure. because players do show up overweight. It's been sort of the history of you suspend the guy until he gets back in shape, but you don't terminate his contract. So, um, you know, uh, you know, there are certainly a lot of players who would be supportive of, of a team being able to uh, – um, you know, get rid of a guy who doesn't think enough of uh, the process mm -hmm. to uh, keep himself in shape. And, you know, the days of the night, uh, the, the 50s and 60s and 70s, when you came to camp uh, trying to get in to get in shape, you know, those days are gone. So um, it's, it's, to me, it's unimaginable how a player in this day and age, you know, earning that kind of money would allow himself to get that you know, far out of shape. Um, and uh, it, it leads you to wonder whether or not, you know, his head is, is totally committed to uh, the process of trying to win. So I understand why they did it, but you also can see why the Players Association has to fight this. I mean, you oh, sure. I mean, look, I go back to years ago when Dallas Akins ripped Nazem Kadri on Twitter. I thought it was horrible to do it. And I thought it was like really stupid for him to do it. And, you know, in retrospect, Nazem Kadri is a heck of a player, and nobody would ever say he's out of shape now. So whatever the reason was then, it was probably he didn't know how to train right, he didn't know how to eat right, whatever, and the coach picked on him. Now, this one has come out because there's a situation where 
he got his contract terminated. Otherwise, we wouldn't have really known. Nobody right. was saying anything about it. Brendan Smith did the same thing last year with the Rangers. I think he was about 20 pounds overweight, and he summarily got booted down the Hartford. They didn't terminate his contract, though. And so, you know, I don't think I don't think they're going to be able to terminate his contract. I don't. And in the yeah, end, I don't think, and I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right that he came in heavy. But sometimes there's other factors why a guy comes in heavy, like things that are going on in his life, and maybe they should, you know, examine that. Well, that's that's the thing. It's like I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, Darling was overweight too, and, and yeah. people yeah. believe that's why he had such a poor season in Carolina. Uh, that he just never really recovered from showing up out of shape. And I've heard that, he, you know, this year he was he worked out all summer to be in the best shape of his life. So, um, but again, he wasn't terminated. Right. Yeah, and and that's see, that's the thing. It's like I mean, we we've seen like a contract like Mike Richards getting terminated because, and we always thought that there was a a mechanism there to to get out out of that the long term deal with Dodgson. He was on an ELC, so it wasn't going to cost them even if they sent him down to the minors. He I believe he still was waiver exempt. It would only cost him seventy thousand dollars. It may had may had to be more than just him coming uh, uh coming into camp overweight maybe it was an attitude situation you know i don't know all i know is that he was considered you know one of their better prospects in terms yeah. of being a, a bottom pairing guy and with them getting rid of schuster in the offseason i thought he was going to make make their roster at least as a six or seven and now if they get their way you know they terminate the deal and if not then he probably just stays the entire year in syracuse and you know invests in weight watchers but uh i think they had him penciled into play this year yeah. I so, you know, they they had obviously a uh, uh, history a little of you know, ha you know having a guy who could you know had a little bit play on the edge uh, and uh, in Gudas, and then uh, you know he came along and sort of has that that uh, playing style as well. Yeah, and, and more than likely, what's going to happen is if they can't terminate the contract, they probably end up trading him somewhere, and he gets a he gets a second chance somewhere else. So, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll track that situation. Uh, okay, before the before the uh, the team previews, uh, Kevin, we haven't had you on since the, the 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 trade of Eric Carlson to San Jose. You you called it a couple weeks before that you know he was going to get traded. It, uh, you know, we mentioned San Jose. I know that Ack mentioned San Jose the day of when it wasn't really clear where he was going to go. Um, first, your thoughts on the deal. And now now with uh, that deal done, there's some talk about Mark Stone not wanting to stay in Ottawa. This is just ugly for Pierre Dorian. And uh, it's snowballing and, and made worse uh, by the fact that, uh, you know, they won't even get the benefit of a first-round pick right. for bottoming out uh, next season because that, you know, uh, belongs uh, elsewhere. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought this was an unbelievably great move by Doug Wilson. Um, you know, not giving any, giving up anyone that's going to hurt him this season, mm -hmm. uh, making a real run for the cup, getting everybody on board. It, it, you know, the double, um, you know, having both Burns and Carlson on the same defensive core, you know, two dominating defensemen, two different kinds of defensemen, but both dominant. Uh, and then, you know, add in Vlasic like that, that defense now, uh, you know, is so uplifting toward, toward that team in terms of being able to create offense and, you know, make a difference back there. They have a high quality goalie. Like, you know, we've talked before about San Jose, they have all the elements to mm -hmm. cop and now they just added another difference maker. And, um, you know, if Evander Kane, and this, I think this is a big F, but 
if Vander Kane can um, be a model citizen there and perform like he did after they got him, boy, this team really looks good. I mean, I yeah. I, I changed, uh, you know, based on that trade. I, I have them now as the, you know, winning their division. And, uh, I, you know, I think they're right up there um, uh, in terms of competing for the Stanley Cup. Like this is a big, 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 big deal uh, for this team, and and I, I didn't think Ottawa, like I know the the uh, you know the younger players, um, you know they got a lot of elements, but I, I thought they'd get more, and by more I meant I thought they'd get a player that we can identify that's you know really really good um, that could you know you know step right in, and you know they really didn't get that. I mean Tierney is a guy that will help them, but. Um, you know, they didn't get that like one guy that we already know is is going to be a difference maker. Russ, I I, I, I talked to a, uh, a veteran Toronto scribe on the weekend, and after talking about the Carolina, getting the acronym here. Hold on. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. All of a sudden, it's um, Russ, try signing out. Try signing out and signing back in. Sometimes that kicks it into gear. Um, okay. I'm still getting it. It might, it might be you, Kevin, but, but we'll yeah, try to fight I, I don't even hear it. Yeah, I know. We'll try to fight through it here. But the, the veteran reporter that I talked to said that he really loves the trade for San, for San Jose, but he still questions San Jose's forwards. And if you look at, I mean, Pavelski's going to be a UFA, but he's still an effective player. We don't know what Thornton's going to be after two big knee injuries over the last two years, but I still think he's going to be able to set up plays. It really comes down to whether Kane and Couture and Hurdle can carry, can generate enough offense. And, you know, they're going to get help with Burns and, and Carlson. But I think that's the only question mark with the Sharks is their ability to score enough because I think they have a good goaltender in Jones, and now their defense, the top three, is incredible. Well, I mean, I think LeBanc could do more scoring for them. I mean, I don't know how much more, but he could do some more. And, you know, there's another there's another guy like Marcus Sorensen. Like, he'll get a little bit more playing time. There is some offense in his game. He had five goals last year. He actually had um, four goals in the playoffs. So I think if you look at those guys, you say, all right, you know what? Timo Meyer could give him more. I, I, you're going to get more points just generated with mm -hmm. Carlson there. I think the biggest problem is a coaching standpoint is like touches in the NBA. Carlson's always got the puck on his stick. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, how are you going to separate that on your, on your defense? Because Burns always has the puck on his stick too. It's a nice, it's a nice uh, problem to have, Kevin. I, and this actually, we were talking about this as well uh, um, uh, on the weekend. Is the fact that you're probably going to have both Carlson and Burns on the power play because now mo most of the, most of the teams are using the one three one where they have, you know, four forwards and the one defenseman. But with Carlson and Burns, you're probably going to have Carlson playing one of those half board positions and feeding Burns at the point with that shot. I mean, that's it's a nice problem to have. Let's just say that. Well, for sure, and uh, I, you know, I, I think they got more than enough goals. Like only the the Golden Knights ha had more goals than them in their division last year, and they, you know, were among the, you know, top five teams in their division. I think in goal scoring. Uh, so you know, Carlson will add, uh, um, you know, more goals to the mix. And I agree about Meyer. I mean, I think he's a guy that can uh, can step up and. 
uh, you know, they have some guys that I think, uh, you know, can produce, uh, you know, more as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like to trade, and I think it's the, the kind of trade that gets a fan base ignited. I think it gets a team ignited, um, and I think you go for it. And, I, as again, I didn't think the hurt was as great as it could have been. Um, you know, I mean, you know, who knows? Whenever there's futures involved, you, you never know. I mean, they could land someone with that uh, pick or two, and, um, you know, guys may step up. But I – I was surprised that they were able to make that trade without giving up anyone who hurts them now. Now, do you think this is a rental one year, or do you think there's a chance that San Jose can get him locked up? I think there is a chance, but I, I don't think it's a done deal. I, I, I think they did it thinking, well, if this is the way it is, it is, you know, we'll, you know, we'll go for it now. And, right. um, and you know, they'll just let the chips fall. I mean, Evander Kane, uh, you know, I had a good interview with him, and he said that he – if you would have told him five years ago that he would have given up his unrestricted free agency without exploring it, he would have said, you're crazy. He said, I so look forward to it. But once I got there, he said, I love the area. I love the team. Um, you know, I felt like we were competitive. And he said, you know, this is a destination point now for players. They get out here and they really like what's happening here. So, you know, who knows? Carlson could be exactly the same way. Okay, uh, team previews. Uh, we'll start with the Red Wings. Uh, they were 30, 39, and 13 last year, 73 points. Uh, made some additions over the uh, over the summer. Uh, Jonathan Bernier comes in, uh, replacing Marazic as the uh, as the either one A one B to Jimmy Howard. Uh, they uh, they add. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Thomas Vanek is a free agent. Uh, they re-sign Mike Green on a two-year deal. Uh, the big loss, Kev, as as you at, at mentioned a few weeks ago, the possibility of Zetterberg not continuing his career, and it came out last week that basically he's done. He can't continue with the, the state of his back. So I think that sets this team back really far because he was a leader and, you know, even in his diminished state was still a very effective player. But what do you what do you see in terms of the outlook for the Red Wings? Well, I mean, I, I think it hurts their future as well, even though he was 100 years old, um, because, you know, part of his job now was sort of mentoring, you know, Dylan Larkin and some of the younger players. Like imagine, uh, you know, Zadina and Rasmussen and Larkin, you know, they're three younger players who have to, who are crucial to their future, or even Mantha you know, now without Zetterberg, sort of showing them the way and sort of schooling them. I mean, like uh, uh, Zetterberg was the ultimate competitor. That's why Babcock loved him so much. Like he came, he competed every day. Like there's no way he should have been playing in this league with the back he had. But, you know, he was a committed guy and he worked hard every day and he just found a way and a will to kind of get it done. So I think it actually hurts him for the future that he's not there um sort of uh schooling uh these younger players and you know i i think they take another half step back uh i know there's a lot of excitement over zadina um they think this guy's the real deal um you know the scoring touch and the release he has the ability to play in traffic uh they think he you know he's going to mature uh quickly and he you know he wants team success as well which is what they really you know like about him as well uh, you know, I think the jury's still out about how good, uh, you know, a guy like Mantha's going to be. Like, he's certainly a talented player. He's sure, certainly capable of scoring 30 goals. But, you know, we don't know whether he'll be able to do that on a consistent basis. Uh, I personally believe that Larkins is important to this franchise as Matthews is Toronto or Eichel is to Buffalo. 
Um, and then, of course, the, the to me, the X factor in the team is you know Big Rasmussen, who's yep. you know, what six six, uh, and I think they'll start out on the wing with them, but. Um, they, they, they like how mature he is already, how serious he is. Uh, the veterans really, really like him because that seriousness has kind of come out. Uh, he's really good in front of the net. He's, uh, he's like Thomas Holmstrom in front of the net, except maybe even a little more skilled than obviously than, than Holmstrom was. So I, I, you know, I think fans here are very accepting and in fact are rooting for a total collapse this year so they can get the Jack Hughes, uh, sweepstakes and, I think they're going to be rewarded. I think you're, you know, you're not going to see a good season out of the Red Wings this, this no, year. No, I agree. And and look, Zadine has gotten clobbered a couple of times, so that's the only thing you worry about with him is, hey, hopefully that doesn't keep happening. Otherwise, you may not want to play him this year. But otherwise, I think he has everything else ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at them and you say, I think what Kevin said is true. I can't piggyback most of it. Rasmussen definitely got a lot stronger. Uh, over the last year, so I think he could handle any rigors down low where where he does a fair amount of his scoring. So, will he score like crazy? No, I mean, but I think he can get twenty goals. I think that's that's realistic. Uh, you know, I, I look at him and and I say, you know, in another couple of years, Joe Valeno, I think will make that team. I think that was a very astute pick. I think he just gotten pigeonholed because he had exceptional status and people got to see him for too long and started pointing out too many uh too many of his problems but yeah they're gonna be they're gonna be a bottom five team there's just there is no way around that yeah and i you know knowing bernier from his days in toronto i think he's a fine backup i don't know you know let's just say if they if they hope to you know even get within a whiff of of a wild card spot you know it's going to have to be jimmy howard staying healthy and if you look at their defense i mean their defense is other than de kaiser and, and jensen is pretty long in the tooth green cronval erickson trevor daly and if you look at their you know the, the depth of their franchise i mean they're hoping guys like ronick and uh, and joe hicketts you know, come up eventually, and and Chalowski come up eventually and fill spots. But they're gonna, they're probably gonna have to draft uh, on on the blue line, Russ, to really improve that defense. It's it's. I don't think it's very good. No, I mean Chalowski's a year or two away. I'll give you another possibility of where they could get some goals this year. And you know, Martin Furk has got a great shot. He only shot ninety nine times last year. If he were, if they let him shoot like hundred fifty times, he'll probably get twenty goals. He had eleven last year. I mean, he does have a really, really pro, a great pro shot. And so that could be something where now he gets a little bit more of a chance on the power play because last year he had five power play goals. He could easily go to 10. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on. We'll, we'll we'll save the predictions on these teams just before the season. I we may do our, predict, but yeah. Yeah, but we'll do our over-unders too just before the season starts. Um, the Dallas Stars, you know, they were they were victimized in the sense that you know the the West was so good they finished two points out of a playoff spot uh, uh, they went 42 32 and eight uh, 92 points last year uh, I think the injury to Ben Bishop really killed them down the stretch they were forced to go with Letton a lot more than they than they they needed to, or needed or wanted to now they have a new head coach um, they they bring back Nakushkin uh, from the KHL. Um, you know, the big thing, Kev, was the re-signing of Tyler Sagan to what I thought was a pretty friendly amount. Uh, I thought he was going to get over $10 million per, and he gets just under that. Um, you know, th- this is a team with a lot of talent. Uh, I, I just don't, you know, the new coach factor is always 
you know, it could have a very positive effect. It could have a negative effect. I, I think that they're going to be sort of a team that's a borderline for the playoffs. But what do you think of the Dallas Stars? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I, you know, I think they're counting on the health of Hansel being better, maybe Nachuskin, you know, coming in. But, you know, anybody who thinks Nachuskin is going to come in and, uh, you know, be a 30-goal scorer or be a star player, I I just don't see that. Like, uh, he really wasn't that kind of player in the KHL, and I think he's matured and he's a better player than when he left. But mm-hmm. I don't think he's a difference maker. Um uh, but, uh, you know, that, that, that team is good enough to compete, you know, everything it's like anything else. They're in that position that if everything goes right, they can make the playoffs. And if it doesn't, they, they probably won't. I mean, they're right on the bubble to be sure. Russ. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you two things right now. Jim Montgomery loves Miro Heiskanen. They paired him with Klingberg. I think you can go with that. I mean, I think you could run with that. And, mm-hmm. and I gotta tell you, that's a pretty elite pairing even at Heiskanen's age, because he has been playing pro hockey, just not, not in, you know, in the, in, in the States. So I look at that and I say, he's a difference maker because he could be in the Calder conversation very easily. Wouldn't shock me at all. He could be right up there with Darlene. I mean, he's a very similar talent and he's smart and he rarely makes mistakes and he's fast. And you put a guy like Klingberg with him, that's, dangerous like the stars haven't had anything that dangerous on the blue line in a while so Mm. that that will create some some extra offense and then yeah you know you look at them and you say all right i mean the west is tough and clearly this is segan's team right now but you know ben as long as ben's healthy him and sagan that's that's always formidable uh spets is still great on the power play like you say whatever you want about jason spets you put him on the power play he still produces I'm looking at what their lines are projected to be. Uh, yeah, third, I, fourth, third, fourth lines are, are definitely up for grabs. I think that guys like Yanmark and Faxa are going to be really important to them getting, you know, getting at least double figures and goals out of them because, you know, obviously Ben and Sagan are going to score a ton. <clears throat> They're going to get offense out of Radulov. Uh, Hansel's had injury problems constantly, and Kevin, you're absolutely right about Nakushkin. He didn't really thrive in the KHL, but you know the talent level is there. I mean, he's a big kid who's a po- it's sort of a power forward with a lot of speed. And if he if he realizes his potential, I think he could be a 20 goal scorer. But he hasn't he didn't show that in the KHL. Maybe he was just being a little complacent. But he's got an opportunity to uh, to make an impression here uh, with the the defense. I, I agree. Russ, you know, at Lindell, Honka, Klingberg, and if the if Heisken makes it, you know, you add that to veterans like Mathot, and they add Roman Polak being a free agency. That's a nice mix. That's a, ni- a really nice mix. You got some veteran savvy, some toughness there, and a lot of uh, a lot of talent that can s- stretch the zone and uh, and rush up the ice. I think it comes down to Ben Bishop again. It's got to he's got to stay healthy. He's got to play sixty games for them. If he doesn't, you know, Kadobin has filled in a couple times in Boston, but yeah, I think Bishop is the key. He, he is, um, but Russ is right about the, you know, they, they do have to score some more goals. Like you think of the stars and you think of Sagan and Ben, well, they have enough scoring, but they really don't, you know, they're down in the two thirty range last year and that's not enough goals in the, right. in the West, uh, the West, you know, the Pacific uh, division is, is probably now stronger than the, uh, the central, but uh, the, uh, 
the central's pretty darn good, uh, you know, too. And you, but you got to get more than two hundred thirty-five goals. One thing I wanted to bring up, uh, and it's just a small thing, but uh, the Dallas Stars have been stopping reporters to tell me that it's not Heiskanen, it's Heiskanen. Oh, uh, well, so boy. that's his. Uh, that's his name, and it and it will be important since this kid's going to be a star. So yeah, right. I'll have to get that one right. I mean, that's. The other two guys, too, uh, Mike and Kev, that could give him some scoring. I mean, Rupe Hintz has been scoring really well yeah. in the AHL, and he had like 20 goals last year. Jason Dickinson, I think, put in the right role. He has good speed, good size. You know, he could, he, I know he played a fair amount, I got like 12, 20 games, something like that last year. Only 27 games, only put up two points. But I, I think if he gets a little bit of a role, you know, you might be able to get eight goals, 10 goals out of him. And Hintz, you might be able to get. 12, 13, so that they could be some contributors there. And I saw Dickinson during the Calder Cup playoffs, and he played well. You know, yeah. but the guy, the guys who were the big scorers for Texas were were it, it was it was you know Curtis McKenzie, veterans yeah. like that. It wasn't. But they have uh, a coach, you know, like like with Montgomery, he will he he doesn't put too much weight on like the top line. Like Denver was always good throughout, even though they had Borgstrom, they always had other scorers like Gambrell and. They had pretty even scoring, and I think he'll do a good job in getting that out of Dallas too. I expect goals to go up. And a former first-round pick like Gurianov hardly played in the playoffs, so I don't know if they've soured on him, but he didn't improve. You know, when he I don't hear anything about him. I mean, he, yeah. he really is fast, and he has a lot of skill. He's not known for his defense, and that's not good with a Montgomery team. Yeah. All right, great show, guys. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I'll I'll make sure I let everybody know the time because uh, I will be up in Toronto uh, at the training camp for the Leafs, so it could be a later afternoon show, but I'll let everybody know. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Uh, for Kevin Allen, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching, and remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.